This episode of the 405 Film Podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Picturehouse Central, Picturehouse Cinema's flagship location. Situated a stone's throw from Cinnabon, you can find the best of... Why Cinnabon? It's delicious. Fuck's sake. You can find the best of blockbusters, documentaries and indies always showing on one of the many comfortable screens. What's your favourite part of cinema, Sean? apart from just being near Cinnabon? Well, that is a really good reason to go, but let's see. I've already said cakes, and I've already said the photo booth. Have we talked about the leg room yet? What's leg room? Is that a room for your legs? Wow. We'll <laughs> be here all week. Well, as a tallie, I can say that there's a ton of leg room. I can always stretch my legs out, and I approve. How tall are you? I'm five, nine, and three quarters without shoes on. That's why it matters. That's why the leg room matters. Mm-hmm. Make sure to check out Picture House Central and the rest of the Picture House Cinema chain because they're all rad, aren't they? Yes, yes they are. Right, on with the show. Welcome to the 405 Film Podcast with Sean Melton and Adam Libinati Roach. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, it's happening now! He's in labor, folks. It's happening. I'm in labor in a week where the teenage version of Groundhog Day has been revealed. Before I fall, we're back. We've actually planned it. We've got another podcast. We're going to film it. Film it. Fuck it. Record it. Audio it. It's going to be in the tin. We're on top of this. It's oh, amazing that was. That what happens was... when you use your calendar. Yeah, I wasn't actually going to. That's that's a good intro. It's not, but we'll keep it. Hello, welcome to the Four or Five Film Podcast with Sean Melton and Adam Libinati Roach. Hi there. So. That Groundhog Day film. Yeah. It was quite hard to find. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just, what did we Google? What was it? Trailer, young girl. No, trailer, young adult girl version of Groundhog Day. I think Pornhub came up as well. <laughs> because that's what it is. It's a young adult novel that's going to be a movie, and every synopsis of the trailer, like every film site says, this is the young adult version of Groundhog Day. Essentially, a, a girl lives her day gets in a car crash and wakes up and it's the same day. So I think even a little more sadistic than Groundhog Day. I don't think he dies at the end of every day. It is slightly sadistic. But anyway, here we are. Welcome to the 405 Film Podcast with Picture House Central, them good guys. Yep. Um, What a week it's been. We're filming. What is wrong with me? Why is it filming? (laughs) We're off to a great start. Super professional start. Super professional start. We're recording here live from London. Um, it's been Is rainy. That where we are? Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, you got to give people a location which they can then, mm-hmm. like, you know, like they can link to. They can, they, you know, they understand that we're recording in London. See, I got it right there. And we've decided to try and make it happen. As in, we'll go see films that you want to be going to see, mm-hmm. but we'll see them before you, so we, you, we can, you know, we can help you make a decision. Yep. Am I right? Yeah. Or make you feel jealous. Either or. Or Jealous, the first film. It's the only film we've seen this week. In theory, isn't it? It's the only one that matters. And it is... Fantastic. Nine Lives. No, Fantastic (laughs) Beasts. Oh, yeah, that too. And where to find them. (laughs) Obviously, we'll be talking about Eddie Redmayne at some point. All the points. But first, what a great job Catherine Waterstone did as Tina. Mm-hmm. I was writing, somehow I did completely miss all of her acting skills until Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. But a quick IMDb shows that she was in Inherent Vice. Yeah, great in that. Really Steve good. Jobs, which the Danny Boyle directed one. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin written. Seen, but it's very good and she's great in that too. I think we should dedicate a whole podcast just to the Steve Jobs film. I think we should dedicate a whole podcast to Catherine Watterson. 
I'm okay with that. I think that's way better than just the... There's only two Steve Jobs films, and the Ashton Kutcher one, they only put him in that because no, he looks like... No, there's three. What's the third one? There was one that was, wasn't released the same year, but it was before. Really? Yeah, there's three Steve Jobs films. Like I think there's a two-year gap between the first Jobs and then Jobs 2 and 3. Is there? If you want to turn it into, like, a trilogy... I don't. I think there's only two. Is it possible to have a trilogy of the same film? I don't know. Twilight did, but um, yeah. Yeah, Catherine Waters <laughs> and his Tina was brilliant, and it kind of one of the points we're talking about in Fantastic Beasts is this lovely theme music plays behind us. Is Eddie Redmayne did Eddie Redmayne, but the supporting ensemble cast were fantastic, hundred percent. Do you believe? Do you agree? As my hand is somehow yes. up in the air. I think one thing that the Harry Potter franchise has always done very well is round out the supporting cast. Because, I mean, the three kids are great, don't get me wrong, I think they really, I mean, you can only do so much when you're hiring 11 year olds and crossing your fingers or turn into good actors as they get older, but they really always rounded out the films with amazing supporting cast, some of whom only had like two lines of dialogue and they'd be the biggest names ever and they were still in there and giving it their all and this one was no exception where every supporting cast member was really really great but the the main crew the the pals they were all awesome the pals jacob for example um pad was i find out who was played by someone someone named fogler dan dan fogler yeah um an amazing job like he could have been just a nomad side nomad means nomad 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 all these american terms I feel like there would have been some crossover in terms, though. But I think we'll talk about that when we talk about the world building and everything else. But in general, let's say, what what would be your favorite thing about this new film? Got loads. Give me, give me one thing. Tell us how you felt when it started, because I had the same thing, too. <laughs> oh, don't bring this up. You don't need to tell people uh, you cried. Oops. Oh, oh oops. <laughs> okay. Um, I think for a lot of people going to see Fantastic Beasts, it marks a return to the screen of a series that they grew up with, mm-hmm. both be it through books and then through the eight films. Oh, Jesus. Eight films. Through the eight films that were on, that basically chronicled your childhood again. So when Fantastic Beasts started, and you hear that... Oh, that, hum it now. That just, theme music, that iconic music. It's the Harry Potter theme music. It's just like, it's back. This is going to be a new era of magic for... A new generation, like, mm-hmm. and I, I, I find it really interesting. So this is for a new generation, mm-hmm. but and no, it, no kids in this film, which is going to be interesting. Like those are all adults. Yeah, that's it. It's a, all adult adults. Film. And apart from crying like at random bits throughout the film, because I was like, this is this is linking directly to my childhood. This is the magic and wonder and the awe of Harry Potter returns in Fantastic Beasts, and that's what I think is brilliant about it. Not just like. The music that then, like the intro music that then changes into the new theme, which is very subtle and still just as beautiful. It's just how this rich world is being brought back. I said to you, like, um, after we came out, that I'm all good with watching Fantastic Beasts as five films. Some may see that as a cash cow, and in a way, it's both. Like, they want to make sure that this universe gets the, the amount of films it deserves, and they want to make sure that the... Uh, the Potter estate, like J.K. Rowling's estate, just keeps going. But we, we want to make sure she has money forever. Yeah, the Pottermore is like Pottermore and everything is helping expand this universe as well. But I like, 
I don't mind. There are some cash-ins that I do mind. Like The Hobbit. The Hobbit didn't need to be three films. For one. Well, that's different because that was taking something that already existed and they were they were fleshing it out to make take up more room. This is uncharted territory because there aren't any books for Fantastic mm. Beasts. There's nothing. So she could say she wants to make 25 films out of it and you can't really be like, does it warrant it because nobody knows no one knows what's going to happen to these characters another thing brings us on to like one of the other points is like there's no book structure that you had with part one to five and what i meant by that when we were discussing this earlier is there's no oh i'm going to school oh shenanigans and then resolvement at the end this is a completely new structure of a film there's nothing like as it, a viewer as well it takes that you can over the course of three days it's a lot of movie in a very short amount of time and each harry potter book was exactly one year it's three days that film is three days that film is like three or four days it's no more than a week oh, that's intense that's that, a tough week yeah it is i've i feel like it's actually two days to be honest you only see night twice God. in the middle of the film and at the end of the film. I'm pretty sure it's two days. And if you if you're hearing me like just you know <laughs> feeling a bit what the hell I've I've this is dark. This is a dark film. This it's, um, a, it's not. It's actually not a film meant for children, which I think will be kind of interesting. Because let's not forget, I I love Harry Potter. I still reread it all the time. They're children's books. They're written for children. That's why there's a familiar structure with it being mm. structured around a school year because I think we never really want to forget that Harry Potter is an 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy and he's trying to go to school All at one time. live his life until the very last book where that structure is shook up because he doesn't have the safety of school because it's no longer... There's no safety of the school. There is no school. safety there. So that that's very interesting. It also kind of shows how um, this evil force, this, you know that kind of creeps into his life. And then the first book, you just get teases of it and you know even yeah. what's going to happen by the last book, everything's gone to shit. I think in structure terms, it's actually closest to Deathly Harris Hallows Part 1, where it's not, that it is just a film based in the universe. Like Deathly Hallows Part 1, there was none of the school structure. There's, the safety of school has gone. And so it was Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron dealing with the consequences of the world. In Fantastic Beasts, it is Eddie Redmayne and the supporting cast dealing with what can be a huge consequence if certain actions take place. Yeah, but if I think, a darkness I think is... Let's, let's back up a little bit, because no. we're, we're digging into a film that we haven't actually properly introduced at all. But oh, okay, do you can't do introduce have it. To? Do we have to? Non-spoiler, this is yeah. non-spoiler, just in case. We're okay. being very careful yeah. with the words we use and the certain things we talk about, just Fan- in case you're not concerned. Fantastic beasts and where to find them. It is a movie about magic. Yeah. Done. No. There you go. Done. Cool. <laughs> Enjoy the film. It's now playing at all good cinemas. <laughs> and our podcast is over. Um, it's it's set in the Harry Potter world in the 1920s, 1926 to be exact. And Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is a textbook that Harry gets in his first year, and it is a textbook written by someone named Newt Scamander, and he wrote the book while studying various animals and basically it's just a list of all these animals and the book obviously jk rowling wrote it and when it was published a few years later it's kind of like one of those little extra supplement things mm-hmm. it was um there were handwritten notes from ron and other characters within the book as if it was a real textbook that you got your hands on to look at so it has a lot of like little 
throwback things um, to the films that fans would really enjoy. But essentially, it is just a list of animals and their attributes and what they're all about. And so this film is taking just that very, very narrow concept and fleshing it out into not just a magical world, but a historically accurate world of 1920s New York City, which is interesting too. Because throughout all the Harry Potter films, it was kind of modern day-ish England, but they never, you're never really there. And when you were, it was, you know, just Ron being confused about what a cappuccino is or other things, but it was... I'm still confused by what a cappuccino but is. But the, so. there was a reject of that because you didn't need to bother with it. And then even in the books, just that Harry lived with the muggles, there was a little bit of it as kind of he was your guide into the new world, but you didn't have to worry about it because it was essentially modern day um, England. Except in the American books, they changed the word jumper to sweater as to not to confuse the young folks. True story. So there's your introduction. <laughs> right from there, carry on talking. Um, and in this film, Newt Scamander goes to New York for some reason. We don't know why. By boat. Uh, by boat. Um, and he has a suitcase full of fantastic beasts. Let's not talk about why he was going by boat. And uh, and they get loose. Because apparition is a maybe. thing. <laughs> maybe they get loose and maybe shenanigans occur. And... Uh, he meets a muggle, or as they call them in America, no match. And he meets two witches, and he meets sexy, sexy Colin Farrell, the wizard. Mm. And uh, yeah, ice skates in Central Park like everyone does when they go to New York in the winter. Sort of ice skates. <laughs> but it's um. Should we go back to darkness? Darkness. Sure. I believe it. I think God love. No, it's, we have like it's dark. As you, like, as you said, it's not a film for kids. It's a film that is in the world that was built for kids, but it's touching upon things that were referred to in the Harry Potter series. Like, it's just the dark. There was always more before Hogwarts. When we started to visit Hogwarts, there's always been. Mm -hmm. There's always been problems. There's always been conflict. And it's 1920s New York is a key moment in the Wizarding Timeline, I'm guessing. You can check this out on Pottermore. Where Which is, what's Pottermore? Pottermore is the website that basically is the the world of Harry Potter condensed. There we go. So Pottermore launched in between all these new films and when the last film ended. And it was kind of a way for Harry Potter fans to... Um, at first it started off as a way to re-experience the exact timeline of the books where you kind of walked through and found out new things but it's grown since then into something a lot more and um, I I played it for about two and a half minutes and then stopped because I've always been a fan of the books and it's never despite my Harry Potter tattoo has not expanded There's the game, there's the Pottermore game but there's also Pottermore is like the content area as well yeah, which didn't which is exist better, which doesn't until, exist but it does now it, yeah it's that's newer I think because that wasn't there when I first logged on to Pottermore it was just a game and I was like oh mm. yeah to some it's like yeah I'm in Hufflepuff mm. excuse me Hufflepuff is great nah, we'll get into that another time Hufflepuff um, is amazing but as a film it's an enjoyable romp. I got. I gave it for Eddie Redmayne's out of five Hugh Grants. So should we want to talk about Eddie Redmayne? Because I know you're not the biggest fan of him. I hate Eddie Redmayne. No, that's a strong word. I don't hate oh, anybody. I can't hate anyone. I don't, well, I hate don't, one person, I don't actually hate Eddie Redmayne. Um, I, I find him to be um, of the class of British actors that overact their ways into movies because they're stage actors and they think the theatre is the place to be. <laughs> the stage. Coming in from stage left, Eddie Redmayne with his rubbery face. And I I haven't really liked many of 
the movies I've seen him in, um, except for one where he was amazing, and that was Jupiter Ascending. Still not seen Jupiter Ascending. I give you life and I take it away! Uh, his whisper shouting is great. It just makes the film. But again, it's him overacting to the extreme, but it works in that film because that film is overacting and over the topness to the extreme. The bees, whatever the bees. But this one I actually worked because um, Newt Scamander was meant to be a little bit um, odd and weird, and he also had to do a very elaborate mating dance with a giant bubbly head rhino at some point, which was beautiful. And I don't think anyone else could have pulled it off because he did it with such earnestness. Like, there's something. I love the bubbly some, head rhino. I was. Something very sweet about how he approached this movie. And again, it worked. And I think this is the the most fun I've like I've just enjoyed Eddie Redmayne ever, maybe since Jupiter Ascending. So yeah, he was great. But my favorite part, very favorite part, the Niffler. It's not really a spoiler. If you've seen the trailer, you'll be like, well, what's that platypus thing? That platypus thing is a Niffler. It is a little tiny creature that likes shiny things. Basically my best friend. Yeah. That's it. That's all the Niffler is. Yeah. Can't say more. No, but it's a reason enough to go to the film. Just the Niffler. And yeah. also Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is an absolute tour de force. He was amazing. Like, every single time Colin Farrell apparated somewhere. Well, that had nothing beautiful. to do with him. That wasn't him and his acting. No, I know, but it You can't it's... tie that to his tour de force performance. I'm trying to find to, a segue into talking to about the special effects because you've rambled on. And time is of the essence here. We don't have time. You told me to ramble on. I did, sort of. But, yeah, the special effects in this film are great. The takes... The special effects in Harry Potter films have always been brilliant. They've always been amazing. And this is another one that David Yates has done. This marks his fifth in the franchise, his first of these. He is going to be directing all the rest of them. Which what are your quick thoughts on that before we go into my Fantastic Beast game? Um, I will say that he understands his world. And he also understands J.K. Rowling's storytelling very well. So I think in that bare-bones sense, um, it, it makes sense. But on the other side, I think it's, um, from my my always feminist point of view, it's sad that there'll be an entire movie universe and two separate franchises that no woman's ever directed a film for, which is kind of meh, meh. But he, I think he does, he gets J.K. Rowling, and yeah, I think that was, it. I think that was really important in this film because the one, my one comment on it as a film is that this is the first one that she's written the screenplay for. She wrote all the novels. She never adapted them. Um, a totally different guy did Steve, Steve Close, and he did all of the Harry Potter ones. So again, he got used to her stories and was able to see them for the bigger picture and pick and choose what he wanted to bring to the screenplay. And this was one where J.K. Rowling didn't start with a book. She basically wrote the screenplay from scratch. And if you think back to the first Harry Potter book and movie, you don't actually learn a lot. Harry goes to school, you get little glimpses of things, but nothing has unwound yet. There is a lot of plot in Fantastic Beasts. There's so much plot. There's a lot that's just dumped on you. Yeah, so much is dumped on you, and... You're supposed to know that this is their Ministry of Magic, this is what's going so, on, yeah, here's new things you need to know, understand. You have to learn all these new things, you get a hint at um, there being a lot of tension between um, magic people and non-magic people, to the point where in America, it seems, there's a little throwaway line of that they're encouraged not to even interact with non-magic people, yeah. that it's beneath them, so there's a lot of tensions there. Um, it's the tension, basically, and this isn't spoiler, it's like post-Salem, isn't it? Hmm. Because this is post-Salem Witch Trial America, 
and that's kind of like what's one of the running themes oh, right that the was film. way earlier i thought that was the early 1800s whoops that's my that's my knowledge of fucking I'm american pr- history I'm for you there i'm pretty sure that was puritan times and american like maybe even the 1500s 1600s I maybe no... maybe if you watch um the autopsy of jane doe <laughs> then that'll give you give you a bit of a hint as when the Salem period was but it's a great film and there's a lot dumped on you you need to go into it with an open mind and be ready to yeah. experience more of the part of universe that is fantastic yeah. I'm happy and that it's back because it's a good expansion I'm happy it's back and I think J.K. Rowling will get better as a scriptwriter. and I think that I think she just wanted to really try to introduce this world and hopefully the next four films kind of simmer down in terms of what's thrown at us um, but again all the uh all these people um, know her, and they know her world. And David Close Yates knows her. David Yates yeah. knows it. Yeah. Um, I don't think Close, Close produced this one, but he didn't write. He's no. Before. He wrote um, Definitely Hallows. No, I know he wrote all the first screenplays, but mm. these ones, he's only producing these ones. Oh, She's writing okay. them all. She's writing all these screenplays from nothing, which I think. I think she she understands how to make characters and it's brilliant. Like you learn about all these people. There's not a lot of exposition. You you understand their characters just from little little tiny quirks and things, which is great. But again, it just it was an overload of information. It was essentially like three or four movies crammed into one. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it was. Yeah, which is okay. I just want the next ones to be a little more chill, please. <laughs> a little more chill and also maybe without Johnny Depp. We know that he's in it, and we know who he's playing, but from what point on? He should just not be in any of them. I'm over him. Yeah, I wonder, wonder which version of Johnny Depp he's going to be playing. Jack Sparrow Depp, or... It's the only one he no, plays. Ranger anymore. Depp. No, that he's still... He only knows how to be Jack Sparrow Depp. At what point in his career did Johnny Depp disappear, and he started signing checks with Captain Jack Sparrow? Uh, second movie. Uh, it's just <laughs> the second character. Oh, it's just it's just the worst, man. It's just come on. Is there a better picks? But that's that's if you want to know more about that. It's as Sean said. It's all like to me. It's all over Twitter. Uh, there's a lot of people talking about Johnny Depp using hashtag. It's like not my Grindelwald. Really? No, uh, not my Grindelwald. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, beautiful. Beautiful, so, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, fantastic piece of weird find them is in all good cinemas now. Um, I recommend that you go and see it before Christmas takes over and Rogue One appears. Yes. Talking Christmas, though. What about Christmas? Did you know it's actually only five podcast episodes until Christmas? We're so close. And I mean, if, it's five weeks. It's five, five podcast episodes is five weeks. Wow, that's the way that's, it goes, my friend. And if you don't follow Sean on Twitter, which is at Sharnacious, then you need to know a few things, yeah? Sean is in love with Christmas. It's her crack, her nicotine patch of festival cheer. So I've asked her in advance, not that far in advance, actually, about say 20 minutes, 20 minutes ago, yeah. to talk about one Christmas movie each week on the lead up to the big 25th, the big day, the big day of... Mm-hmm. So, what is the first? First, I'd like to say narrowing it down to five Christmas films is pretty tricky, um, and I'm saving my very favorite for last. And then I have to really quickly work oh, back. Cliffhanger from the start. No, and I don't even know what other three I'm going to pick in between. But I decided to go with the one for this week, um, being Home Alone Two. Lost in New York. Why not Home Alone 1? Or is that later in the other four? I like the second one better. Um, mostly because I, I liked New York as a kid. I thought it was... I Maybe I always wanted to get on a plane and go to the wrong place and not be with my family. 
Um, and there was, there's just something to me a little bit more magical and, and crazy about being an entire city rather than just mm. being like at home by yourself. Um, and that voice recorder thing, I mean, come on now. I had one. And um, Tim Curry is the uh, concierge at the hotel that miraculously let a child check into it. <laughs> Don't worry, sir. You can check in. Just give us the credit card that's obviously not yours and check in. But I, I feel weird mentioning it because um, I, and you know what's really funny? I didn't actually know that he was in the film until very recently with all the memes and things popping up. But Donald Trump's in that movie. Yeah, it's during his good time, I guess, if there yeah, ever was a good yeah. time. I don't know if he ever did. But it's a Christmas film. Why is it number five, I guess, in your Christmas film list? It just said because it's fun and there's a giant Christmas tree and there's a toy store and a bird has to be more to it than that. Ghost New York? No, no. Why? What do you? What do you want? Is it the fact that you enjoy it as a Christmas film because it's not a traditional, like Christmas films? How I've always watched them, like you know, like It's a Wonderful Life. I've never actually seen that. Oh, and can't believe I've given you this feature. <laughs> With that, with that sort of uh, information just now leaking out. It's... I find it strange as a Christmas film because it is like, okay, this boy's running, he's scared, he's being p- pursued by thieves who want to brick they his face. They, they want, want revenge. They want revenge. And how does he get over them? By inflicting severe amounts of pain on yep, them. Exactly. It's 90s shenanigans. 90s movies didn't give a shit, and that's what I appreciate about it. You can't just surround beating people up with Christmas and all is fine. Yes, yes, you can. No, no, you can't. Yes, no, you can't. It happened twice. What do you think of the bird lady? Because she scared me when I was young. I liked her. She was great. They went to go listen to um, music together. I know. Nice. It's still lovely, but yeah. she still had the um, the art of scaring young kids. Nah, nah. Well, it's just like... It was just like in the first one with his, the crazy neighbor that he thought was evil. That's just kids' imaginations. Huh. <laughs> Of course, it probably. If this was a film out. studies class, and you just drop that clanger, be like, "Wow, a star! Your report card is good." But yes, I think I think it's a good number five choice. I don't even know what I'm going to do for my other three. I know what the first one is though. Number so, one. Whilst I play some Christmas music in the background, Can what I, is which one are you going to play? The Home Alone two. What's Home Alone two's Christmas message? Probably just some jingles. Don't go to Florida. For Christmas. Like, there's palm trees there. What the fuck's your problem? Why would anyone go to Florida for Christmas? Honestly, all their problems could have been solved if they didn't go to Florida for Christmas. A lot of people go to Australia, though, for Christmas. You mean they live in Australia. They happen to live there, and Christmas happens. No one should go anywhere tropical for Christmas. That's just... ugh. It's a crime against humanity. Do you want to know why people go somewhere tropical for Christmas? Why? Because they want to take that picture and be like, oh, on the beach, Christmas Day. It's like, oh, you fucking wanker. Just yeah, it's be lame. done. Be done. You want to be like in a in a climate that's colder, preferably with snow, which is where I'll be this year. And you want a tree and you want turkey dins and you want stuffing and you want hot cocoa by a fire. That's what you want. That's Christmas. And also maybe sadistically attacking two grown men in an abandoned house. That's also in the spirit of Christmas. So in the spirit of Christmas, this year, on the 24th of December, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go home and attack some men. Do it. And on that note, we'll be back after this little musical interlude where I'll just like, just to break it up, and we'll be talking about a Netflix recommendation. Mm. Where will it be? 
Look at all the bars. We're back for a break. That's it. Just oh. do that. It's your turn. <gasps> it's my turn to tell everyone. We're back from our break. <gasps> How does that feel? Felt really good. For the first time in 14 episodes, did you feel powerful? Guess who's back? Back again. The thong song. <laughs> Look at that, it's so scandalous. <laughs> so we've got another rec Netflix recommendation for you. This time it's coming from Adam. It's another documentary. Last week mine was 13th. I hope you've watched it. This week, Adam, what do you have for us? I haven't watched the 13th yet. <gasps> How dare you? I have. Just got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. Oh. Well, I didn't know. No, there you go. My choice of documentary is Into the Inferno by Werner Herzog. Oh. Yeah. Tell us about it. It's an explosive choice. Oh. <laughs> pun, 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 pun. Ladies love puns. We do. It's, well, basically, it's Werner Herzog taking on the volcano for the second time. Um, he did another volcano documentary back in the day. And this time he decides to return to it, not just to focus on volcanoes themselves, but also to focus on the cultural significance of having a volcano on your doorstep, which I find is... I know more about volcanoes through science and GCSE level um, education, but I don't actually know how it must feel and what a volcano does to a community. So his route into this, his like his direction of this documentary is brilliant because yeah, you see the raw power and the the, the pure terrifying destruction of a volcano. But you also learn more about what it's like to live in and around one. I'm looking forward to seeing it. If it's anything like how he tackled the internet with lo and behold it should be amazing. Mm, I've got a um I got a quote from the New York Times. Ooh. God bless the New York Times. Mm. Um, and they had did a review of Into the Inferno, and they basically said, or Manahula Dashis said, it is a metaphysical exploration of the wonders and terrors of nature, as well as the fragility and comedy of human life, complete with beautiful cinematography. Ooh. It's a Netflix original, which I don't know what that means anymore. But That means that um, they didn't purchase it, they... They funded it. It was their idea. So they they threw some money at it. They probably maybe approached him or he approached them. Yeah, we, it wasn't an acquisition. Ah, right. That makes sense. But yeah, in it we see the fragility of those who inhabit the surrounding areas and how in some places the colossus on their doorstep inherits both the physical and the metaphysical plane. I wrote that. I thought it sounded quite nice. Mm, it does sound nice. And like, is the volcano a symbol of God's power and is there reason as to why it's praised both in myth? And religion. And it's scary as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Herzog like teams up with volcanologist Clive Oppenheimer. He's in the first one that I can't remember the name of it that Herzog did. And it adds like a lot of credibility to what Herzog is doing. Because this guy knows his stuff about volcanoes. So in certain instances he's having to talk tech with um, those who also monitor volcanoes in uh, different monitoring stations around the world. And then Herzog decides to, like always, focus more on the humanity of it. So, for example, he visits North Korea to visit Mount Pegtu, a volcano that, in Herzog's words, like symbolises the politics of the state. And instead of just focusing on the volcano, Herzog and his team get to film... They get to film in North Korea. Obviously not as, you know... You can go everywhere you want. Obviously, they're like they're 
yeah, what's the word? What being the, supervised? They're supervised and they're moved they're around. <laughs> but he manages to put across how, like, because I just said it symbolizes the politics of the state. And when you're watching it, the volcano is apparent and obvious and everything in North Korea. So they're looking at some of the old photos of King Jong-il and, and like, before the rebellion and during the rebellion, the volcano is always, not rebellion, the revolution, and the volcano is always present. And he goes on to ask what it means to the historians and what it means to the people to have that volcano ever, volcano ever present. And to give an example of how, like, present that volcano is, when ever North Korea do their, um, just do a celebration, it's always there. And then it's also, like... Well, you, you're telling me about something completely crazy. It's, it's a great documentary about, like, like volcanoes and the cultural significance. And go on, what? Who? Well, you are making a map earlier. Oh, yeah. Um... Back in 2010, there was a eruption in Iceland, and the volcano is, I'm going to try really hard here, it was called Eidafljökull, and... Are you bullshitting that, or did you look it up prior to... Eidafljökull? No, that's how, that's how it's written. Okay. Yeah, and that was the one that um, erupted and um, ruined travel patterns all over Europe. Mm-hmm. But... And he talks about that for a while, but then he also goes on to go into history and of volcanoes in Iceland. And this is why I was making a map, because um, there's an ancient eruption, the Lackey eruption, and to well, put this... 1783. What did I just say? Ancient. Ancient. 1783. <laughs> to me, ancients last week. And I'm going to put it into context. The, it was... As far as I could see... Back in 1783, um, there was fire. Fire everywhere, volcanoes erupting, lava and everything. And it was 232 kilometres squared, um, which would pave the entire city of Boston. In sixty-three meters of ash, and then yeah, sixty-three so, meters yeah. deep of ash. So not ash. just not just a thin layer, but you'd constantly be pushing yeah. your way up. You'd be constantly doing like um, well, no, you'd be dead. Arm dips. You, you'd be you'd, you'd be, be arm dipping your way out. Like, whoop, you'd be dead. Whoop, you would just, you would just be dead, and you'd be dead. You wouldn't be alive. But yeah, um, into the inferno. It's it's just just sounds good. It's very good. I'm actually kind of doubting that it's called into the inferno now. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm fairly certain. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, it is. Sorry about that. I completely just got completely lost by my own train of thought because I was just obsessing with volcanoes. I love volcanoes. I'd love to go see one, but I wouldn't at the same time. There was a model who um, did the squirrely flying thing over one, and it was like one of her biggest wishes. She's like a model, but also like an extreme sport person, and she always wanted to jump out of a plane, do that thing over a volcano. Would you ever do that? Yeah. Squirrely flying? What do you call that? Suit flying? Ah, uh, the thing that I got wrong was to play in a video game. The um, yeah, it's um, squirrel wing flying. suits. Squirrel flying. Yeah, I would. Good, fair play to that model on doing it. She's got balls. I'd never be able to do that. I'd like to. We'll see how this goes. But yeah, my Netflix recommendation is Werner Herzog's Into the Inferno, and I'm not going to do his voice. However, I do wish he was a Siri add-on. Oh, that'd be nice. And that's me done. There we go. It's a good recommendation. Thanks, mate. It's a good uh, Wednesday or Thursday night documentary. You can 
watch at home with maybe a bowl of soup. I don't know. I feel like soup. Why soup? I don't know. It just popped into my head. Chicken? Yeah, anything really. Who am I to tell you what to eat for dinner? Hmm. Yeah. Do I get to say goodbye now? Yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. It says it's produced by you, and I, and I don't get a name at the end. Oh. And I lead the thing. Oh. Mm. And your mm. name comes first. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Can leave us with a final thought. Um. Hmm. Final thought. What's John thinks of a final thought? Thank you very much to Picture House Central for their constant partnership with us. And we'll be back at another upcoming Docs Club when we know what the listings are, which will be lovely jubbly. And um, shout out again to Hoxton Movies. Thank you for always you know, being nice to us. And we'll be revealing the winner of uh, the Night Off competition on the site soon. There you go. Now, now final thought. Capybaras. That was the 405 Film Podcast with Sean Melton and Adam Libanazi Roach. As always, this podcast was created in partnership with Picturehouse Central. The podcast is still produced by Oliver Primus and Sean Melton. We're on Twitter. Follow us at the 405 Film. Subscribe to us. Don't look at me. Subscribe to us on iTunes and remember to share the podcast with your friends. The moral of filmmaking in Britain is that you will be fucked by the weather. That's a real Hugh Grant quote. Might not be from a film. I think I pulled off that voice. It sounded professional. Yeah? Super professional. Nice.